Hey, hello, everybody. My name is Mike. I'm here with Tommy. Welcome to another episode of Drive Into the Basket, recording after another hiatus uh, due to some scheduling conflicts and real life factors. Thanks for bearing with us. So today we are going to start out by going through our own mock draft. So uh, Tommy and I are just going to alternate picks. I'm going to go with uh, one three five seven. He'll go with two four six, and we'll just talk about uh, whom we each believe is the best fit for the individual teams. We're just going to go on the basis. Uh, I mean, there's been some talk about possibly Golden State. Uh, moving down, but possibly Minnesota, uh, just saying, you know, we're going to look out and, and, and see what trades are out there for us. And, you know, maybe we'll move around as well, just based on, on what's looking best. So now we're just, obviously that's impossible to predict. So we're just going to go on the basis of the current draft order. So uh, we're just going to launch right into it. So number one uh, is the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, so I'll start here. I am going without any hesitation with Anthony Edwards. So Anthony Edwards is probably con- uh, continues to be the consensus number one overall pick. Uh, you know, not that that really matters for these uh, for these purposes, but uh, I think between just his level of talent and the fit in Minnesota, I think he's just definitely the best pick for that team. He's a guy with a questionable floor. Uh, the, the thing is that he's got a lot of talent. He could easily bust as well. Uh, I'd say his floor is probably somewhere on the order of maybe – a less talented Andrew Wiggins. Uh, Wiggins is just pilloried a little bit unfairly. I think his issue is that he's incredibly overpaid. Now that he's a bad player, he's actually pretty, he's actually a pretty decent scorer. So I, I don't think that's necessarily Wiggins' floor. I think it's actually a little bit, little bit less than Wiggins. I think Wiggins is a very talented player who's just kind of lost mentally. Uh, his ceiling, I think, could be Donovan Mitchell. Uh, again, maybe not exactly. You know, we're just talking you know, comparables here are not, not exact. So I think Mitchell has a sort of, uh, a sort of mental outlook that is pretty special. The guy's a super hard worker, a very team first kind of guy, very mature from the moment he came into the NBA. Uh, but just in terms of athleticism and in terms of just potential as a scorer, I think that's where you're going to find Anthony Edwards ceiling, which of course would be great if, if Minnesota, for Minnesota, if they were able to get a player like that. But uh, Edwards, and, and we for, for those who are listening who didn't uh, listen to our draft previews, we went really very in-depth into, I think, all of the players, or certainly all of the players we're going to be discussing here. So we're not going to go too in-depth into their qualities, but I'll just sum uh, for, for Edwards' part. Super athletic guy uh, who's got a high ceiling as a scorer. It, you know, if he puts it together, he'll be able to score from the outside, uh, you know, from inside the arc and the paint. Uh, and you know, on the drive, just just a very could be a very talented all around scorer, and uh, just his his athletic athletic ceiling is is very very high, which of course is super important in today's NBA. So the Timberwolves would be getting themselves a shot at a potential star level scorer on the wing, which would be fantastic for them to pair with D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns. Of course, if you're going to play with Russell. Uh, Edwards does need to learn to play off the ball. And there's always the possibility that he never puts himself together as a shooter. Because he really wasn't the greatest shooter in Georgia. Uh, though in his defense, he had to handle all of the duties for for uh, handling offense for that team. Uh, Tommy, what are your thoughts on that pick? Yeah, I agree with you. Pretty much all the reasons you listed. I think he's got the highest ceiling in the draft as a scorer. He gets to the basket really well, and I think that's probably going to be his, uh, his best weapon in the NBA. He's got great size. Uh, pretty good burst and 
since Carl Anthony Towns is a floor spacing center, theoretically that lane can be opened up for him, and that's a decent fit for Minnesota, especially if he can learn to shoot. Yeah, uh, some people have said Lamelo, but I don't think Lamelo fits with D'Angelo Russell, who's an extremely ball dominant point guard. I don't think you can really bring him in and expect that fit to be very good. And I think just the the, the potential chance at an elite wing scorer is just something they can't pass up with point guard already taken care of. All right, let's move on to number two. All right, so with the number two pick, uh, the Warriors are going to select James Wiseman. Uh, this is, again, under the assumption that the Warriors don't trade this pick, which there are rumors of them doing, but uh, I think they could use cheap talent, and uh, a high draft pick is usually pretty good return on value. And I think James Wiseman, uh, one center out of Memphis, only three played three games, I think he'd be a good fit for them because the Warriors have kind of had this uh, just rotation of really – cheap centers and this could be a long-term solution for them um i think that even though he's not proven as a floor spacer it's not going to matter as much when he's playing next to steph curry and clay thompson he just needs to be quick enough to keep up with that fast warrior offense and i I think he's got the mobility to do so another another instance of like just the warriors being just so overpowered from all angles and i think he's a much better fit than Lamelo ball uh, who would probably have to come off the bench playing next to Clay Thompson and Steph Curry. So I think Wiseman makes the most sense for the Warriors. What do you think? I agree. I, I think at this point, it's their greatest need. And of course, you don't have to draft by need, but I think for the Warriors, who are a team who will be competing immediately, finally having a good center on the team would be very, very helpful. A guy you have on a cause controlled basis under team control for four years. And Wiseman may not put things together. I know that a lot of Pistons fans could look at him and see, oh, goodness, this guy could be another Andre Drummond, a guy who, who's got questions about his work ethic and engagement and dedication to the game. And, you know, he just really doesn't play hard all the time right now, though admittedly it's a very limited sample size in college. But if the guy does put it together, uh, especially, you know, if he can get that shot going, yeah. which may be fairly important if he's playing next to Draymond, uh, because you don't have Durant on the team anymore. You can't just say whatever will put out you know, Curry and Thompson and Durant, and really who cares if we have a, a fourth or fifth shooter on the floor, which is reasonable. Uh, but just in terms of his athleticism, his ceiling is, is a defender, uh, just his ceiling as an interior scorer, as a guy in the pick and roll, uh, just as an interior scoring threat. Uh, I mean, if he can put that together and you put him next to next to a couple of the greatest shooters of all time and one of the, uh, and, and, and a very, very good passer and Draymond's, uh, plus, you could they, they could pair to become an, an excellent defensive front court. So I think he's the guy you go with. Lamelo just can't play with Steph and, and Clay. I just don't right. see how that could possibly work. So moving on to number three, we get to the Charlotte Hornets, and uh, for my money, the Charlotte Hornets here would select Lamelo Ball. So the Hornets still don't have their point guard of the future. There are a couple of factors here, really. The number one, the, the, the Hornets really still don't have their point guard of the future. You've got Terry Rozier who despite having his contracts severely pilloried, like people looked at that and they said, what is Michael Jordan thinking? He actually wasn't bad for the Hornets. That said, he's not your answer going forward. It's just, he doesn't have that ceiling. He's not going to be, I think it's very unlikely he's going to be the starting point guard uh, for a very successful playoff team. Uh, you've got uh, Devonte Graham who started off the season really well before really tailing off later on. Uh, Graham is kind of, in, in terms of his offense, is sort of a Fred Van Vliet type of player, a guy who is very, very poor. He's actually even worse than Fred Van Vliet for this. Uh, very poor at penetrating the basket and really creating offense. 
so is, is not best suited as, as a lead guard. Uh, he's a guy who can shoot threes really, you know, really quite well and as good as a secondary passer as long as he doesn't have to do it by, by breaking down defense and heading and getting to the basket. But again, guy who's best suited probably as a sixth man. And so they really need uh, – well, this is the best talent, I would say, on the, on the table for them. And though I would personally never, ever, ever draft on the basis of hype, and know this will get people excited, uh, I think for Michael Jordan having a potential big name on the roster be a consideration. Uh, those of you who listen to who've been listening to this podcast for a long time know that I don't think highly of Michael Jordan at all. I put him in the same class of owners as Vivar Granadive of the Kings and James Dolan of the Knicks. Uh, you know, Glenn Sarver and unfortunately Tom Gores. I think he's he's a meddlesome owner who just thinks he knows best but doesn't do good things for his team. But uh, I, I think that'll also be a factor. But I think also just at this point in the draft with the with the Hornets where they are. Uh, you know, really long-term mediocrity, a lack of success. I think taking a shot on Lamelo's ceiling, I don't think super highly of him, but I, th- I think he's the best risk and the best choice for the Hornets at this stage of the draft. Yep, I agree with that. I, I think there there are other factors. Like, it would be pretty crazy if like Levar Ball's comments about Michael Jordan and Michael Jordan's sons not being good at basketball uh, cost them this this pick, but. I don't know. Can't really insult a guy's sons and then take his his son. You know, it, no. it would just it would be it's just a circus, honestly, <laughs> with Lamelo. And I I really I really don't think that Jordan would let it affect them. And I think Levar would change his tone pretty quickly. But I think it it is a legitimate factor. Like there are there are a lot of things that come with drafting Lamelo Ball. And even if you think that he's the best player left, I mean. I think the fit would be fine. You know, they have PJ Washington, uh, Miles Bridges, Malik Monk, and they're all like decent. They all have potential as floor spacers, and Lamelo doesn't. But I think he can make the right passes to them. Their their only real like long term weaknesses right now are the center and the point guard. So with James Wiseman being off the board, uh, I think Lamelo is the right way to go. But we'll see if that is what ends up happening. Yeah, the other guy you could conceivably look for, look at as the Hornets is a Kongwu, but I I don't I just don't think that they would shoot for that sort of safe pick. I, I think they go for for Lamelo. As far as as far as uh, Michael Jordan and Levar Ball, I know I've said this to you before. Uh, what what comes to mind is the quote from the original Terminator, with, you know, with respect to Jordan. It's like, you know, he can't be bargained with. He can't be reasoned with. He doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear. He will not stop ever until you're dead. Uh, You know, I didn't get the quote perfect. I didn't didn't want to drag it out. But yeah, I I wouldn't. uh, I would say that that if LeBar Ball tries to pull the same shit he did with Lonzo in uh, in Los Angeles, I would fear for his life. Like, not actually, but I, I think that Michael Jordan would see to it that LeBar was banned from everything. If necessary, and Mike, I mean, Michael Jordan, uh, that sort of narcissist hard ass who uh, who just doesn't, you know, doesn't brook defiance from anyone. You know, he didn't as a player either. <laughs> I don't see it being a problem. So, all right, moving on to number four. Number four overall pick goes to the Bulls, and we're going to go with uh, Denny of Dia for them. The Bulls have. Uh, like players of the future at pretty much every position except small forward, and that's what Denny is. Uh, he's a bigger wing. He has questionable shot uh, that's kind of been up and down through his career uh, in overseas in Israel and uh, in Euroleague. 
but I, I think he's a decent shot uh, pick for them because he has ball handling capabilities and Kobe White and Zach Levine aren't, neither of them are really known as like great ball handlers. They're more scorers. And I think you can't really have too many uh, secondary or capable ball handlers. So I, I really like that fit for the Bulls. I think he'd be uh, pretty much the, the, the best pick uh, for the Bulls regardless uh, because it's it's not the sort of deal where like you only go by position. I think he just is the best player available at that point, and he happens to be uh, the best fit. Yeah, I agree with with that, Dia. I think he is the best fit, and I think he is the best player available at that point. Uh, I think that's the being the BPA at number five. I think that's largely a symptom of this being a relatively weak draft. I think FDA would be a guy who, in a stronger draft, would probably go around eight, nine, or ten. Uh, but the only answer that the Bulls have at small forward right now is Otto Porter Jr. Uh, Otto Porter Jr. I think is a capable player. Uh, I just don't think he's part of their plans going forward. He's, he's also his health is completely unreliable. So FD is yeah FD has got potential. He does fit a need. You can always use more basketball IQ and, and you know and more more playmakers off the dribble. Even though he's not the greatest player off the dribble, he's, he can still create for his teammates to a degree. So I, I would go with him also. Uh, so number five, we get to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, now, I have a small issue with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Namely, I don't think that they're particularly competent. I think that uh, that Dan Gilbert is still pushing for them to kind of go back to contending pretty quickly. It was completely bizarre when they fired Ty Lue for, you know, early on in, uh, in 2018, the 2018-2019 season, excuse me, for doing poorly with a team that had no hope of winning. <laughs> so this is where, for me... I know we're just supposed to be going on, on based on who we would book and pick at that position, but it's like just the fact that it's Cleveland starts to encroach a bit upon me. So uh, I'm going to go with Obi Toppin, which is sort of a weird pick, given that they have Kevin Love under contract. And uh, we, uh, just to be fully straight, we've done a previous iteration of this episode uh, I'm just not satisfied with how it came out. And in, in, in this previous episode, I talked about, okay, well, they, they'll put top and they put top in the power forward and move Kevin Love to center. And I completely forgot about the existence of Andre Drummond <laughs> on the roster of the Cavaliers, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which Tommy postulated because I just blocked it out emotionally, which is not outside the realm of possibility. <laughs> um, <clears throat> because, you know, those of you who've been listening to this podcast, uh, know that I, I do not think highly of Andre Drummond. And I was, I was quite relieved to see him off the team. Uh, I don't think he's a bad person. I just can't stand him as a player. So, but nonetheless, I, I, I think this is still uh, the position where, where Cleveland would take Obi Toppin. I don't think he has a very high ceiling as a player. I do think he's a safe pick who can contribute as maybe like the, the third, you know, if re- things really come together, the number two player, you know, in, in a really good offense, probably number number three, I would say. But for a team like Cleveland, uh, where you're probably looking at going back to contending fairly soon uh, or trying to at least contend for the playoffs, and given the relative weakness, like if, if there were like a slam dunk small forward available at this point, like if FDA were available at number five with Cleveland, I'm like, all right, snap, we've got, a, you know, Chetty Osman right now. He's like the 28th best small forward in the league. So we're going with Denny FDA. But, uh, you know, in lieu of that, I think they go with the guy who – you say, okay, we're confident he'll be a good scorer at the NBA level. Maybe he won't be a star, but we're confident he'll be a good scorer. Kevin Love is not the long-term answer for this team. And, uh, you know, we're just going to take Toppin and hope it works out. So that's who I'm going with. 
as as the Cavaliers. The only other person I'd think about would be maybe Isaac Okoro, very athletic guy, uh, who, who can you know can play both forward positions very well, which Toppin can't really do because I don't think he can really realistically defend anybody below power forward. But Toppin, excuse me, but Okoro just doesn't have the offense together at this point. So, but the Cavs going with Toppin. Right. Here's my thing with Toppin. Um, these playoffs have kind of exposed. Not exposed, but like the, the things that we've talked about in the past about like what the mo- the modern big man has to be. Uh, Toppin as a power forward, I don't think he can play. He's not big enough to play center. But my main issue, and it's kind of been magnified in these playoffs, is big men have to be mobile now. And Toppin's biggest draw is that his hips are terrible. Like his lateral mobility is just awful. And uh, in this Boston Miami series, we saw Tice get beat off, the, just beat off movement by Bam so many times. And I think that's going to be a real issue if with whatever team drafts Toppin because if you have a <clears throat> a bigger player who can uh, attack the rim, like from distance, you can pull Toppin out to like the three-point line, they're going to attack him every time because his lateral mobility and his defense uh, positionally is just not good. Uh, so I-, I could see it being Toppin, especially him being uh, an Ohio like a Dayton product and uh, having a lot of hype behind him, like through the school year, I could see that happening. And since Kevin Love is obviously, he's too old to be a power forward of the future. And he could probably really learn from Kevin. I could see it being the pick. And I think that's a likely pick in this scenario, but I think there's a really good chance that it's also a Coral because uh, beeline after kind of being removed from his place as head coach, because the players didn't like him, they kind of moved him into the scouting department and one thing I've noticed about Okoro is college coaches love him. And Beeline, obviously, is a former college coach. So college coaches love these, like, hyper-athletic players with the intangibles. And even if they have a broken shot, which Okoro, in my opinion, does, uh, I think there's a real chance that their scouting department looks at Okoro, they look at their roster holes, and they say, yeah, that's the guy we need to go with. So uh, for the for the purpose of this mock, yeah, I guess we'll, we'll say that uh, it's topping to the Cavs, but I think there's a real shot that Okoro is the guy. Yeah, I completely agree. This is, this is a pick that I felt uh, that I feel pretty un- not necessarily comfortable with uh, because yeah, it could go either way. I'd say top end of all the guys, like in this draft, you have like nine, you have guys you can say, I think you can take 10, nine guys and you can say, uh, you know, these guys will be in, in the top nine of the, nine out of the top 10. But uh Let's put it this way. You could basically, Okoro and Toppin are interchangeable. One of them will drop, I would yeah. say. I don't think both of them will be selected in the top nine. Right. And Toppin could easily be the guy who drives, who's two, two falls to 10, just because of those concerns. But I, I just, yeah, I mean, uh, this is where I'm, I'm kind of like torn because, yeah, this is supposed to be like, this is who we would select, who we think is best for the team. And it's like kind of coming into my head with Cleveland as it, as it would with New York, like, but it's Cleveland or, but it's New York. And it's like, I just don't trust them to make the right decision. <laughs> <clears throat> now, I completely agree with what you've said about, uh, with what you said about bigs and just the, the need to move and just the, it was even at this point, like, you know, the uh, tendency or the strategy for offense is to just target the guy on switches, like it was DeMarcus Cousins last year in the playoffs. Like, just get this guy on a switch, put somebody on him who can isolate and beat him off the dribble. And that was a big deal already. But in these playoffs, it's just huge. Yep. I mean, it's just gone one step further. So, 
I mean, you've got, you know, fortunately, I mean, with the teams you've got remaining, you've got a lot of guys who can still, you know, like like Dwight Howard still, I think, still does a decent job or uh, whatever. I mean, whatever. We'll, we'll, get into, we'll get into that later as far as centers and isolations. But, yeah, I'm just sticking with Toppin. This is one, this is the kind of the, the pick here on which I think I could easily be wrong. All right, on to number six with Atlanta. Yep. Uh, I'm going to go with, and this breaks my heart because I really want this guy, but I think the Hawks would take Halliburton. Uh, he's a, he's a 6'5 shooting guard. He has a wonky shot and that it's like a weird push shot. And he, he attributes that to being, uh, too weak at first to like properly get the ball up at that distance. But two years at Iowa, he shot upwards of 40% both times. Uh, he's a good passer and he kind of creates his own shot through his passing. So like he'll, he'll get rid of the ball and he'll like put his teammates and himself in a better position to get a good shot. And then he'll find himself somewhere else, and then they'll get it back to him, and he'll put up the shot. And I think his shooting next to Trey Young would be really, really a really, really good fit. Um, and I think his defense is good enough where uh, he could kind of cover up some of the uh, the defensive issues that Trey Young brings. Um, at six five, he would be a bigger point guard and just an okay size shooting guard uh, in today's league, but. I think uh, Halliburton and Trey Young, that's that's a really good uh, backcourt. Maybe that's your uh, backcourt of the future. And I, I I would have liked to see him go to the Pistons. I don't think he's like a, a pure point guard of the future. I would still prefer him at shooting guard uh, and just be like a secondary ball handler. But um, I, I think the Hawks would take Halliburton in this case. I completely agree. Uh, I think, I believe he's, Trey Young has been playing as the Kevin Horder who is a good shooter, but not a good defender and, and has no ability to create offense for himself. So I think, I think Halliburton can help to, he's a good compliment to Trey Young. I think he really helps to LA some of Young's weaknesses. I think he'll be a good defender at the NBA level. He's got to put on some mass, but he's got very good defensive IQ. He's a good mover. He can help to take some of the onus, a little bit of the onus off of Trey as the primary playmaker. He always can use more guys who can hang out on the perimeter and shoot. But I mean, it's just it's just so nice to have another guy at the guard position uh, to, who can create plays for others, also. Right. And just having anybody, any of these guys, these super high IQ players uh, at, at the guard positions or on the wing is just just so helpful. So I think he's he's a very very good compliment for Trey Young. You could look at Cam Reddish and say, who knows, maybe he'll he'll come along. But I, I wouldn't really want to count on Cam Reddish, to be honest. That's just me. Yeah, and honestly, speaking of Cam, he has been getting a lot better like throughout the year, but. Uh, even then, he could he can play the, you can just play like a, as a wing, as like a bigger wing, and you could still put Halliburton and Trey Young out all on the floor, all three of those guys on the floor together. But yeah, you can. I, I think Herter is the guy to replace in the starting lineup right now. Uh, yeah, I, I mean you've got uh, DeAndre Hunter as well, and I know the jury's kind of still out on him, mm-hmm. but you know you, you just you can never have too much strength on the wing. Yep. I mean, of course, you have those lineups where, and, and I'm sure we'll see this. I, I thought the Capella trade to the Hawks was a little bizarre. Yeah. But um, I, I think you'll definitely see lineups in which you have a Hunter. I mean, if you were to draft Halliburton, you can have lineups of Trey Young, Halliburton, like Reddish at the three, Hunter at the four, and John Collins at the five. And provided everything works out with those players, that those could be very good lineups. Those could be very good lineups. John Collins, I think, in particular, is a very, very underrated player because he plays in Atlanta. So. 
All right, so moving on to, uh, oh man, what team is at number seven? I can't remember. Just kidding, of course, it's the Pistons. So I, for the Pistons, am without hesitation at this stage, taking Killian Hayes. So uh, Hayes is, uh, so I don't think he's a player who's, who's necessarily a sure thing, but I think that he could turn out to be a very good starting point guard for the Pistons. I, I don't think he's really, uh, you know, we've gone over this, we went over this in our in our player previews. I think point guard was uh, did we do point guards last or first? I think we did them last. Okay, yep. so th- that was a that was a third episode, the third and final episode of our draft previews. So I don't think Hayes will ever be a star point guard. I think he can be a very solid kind of top ten point guard. However, and that's that's definitely a a, a worthy use, absolutely worthy use of number seven pick. So Hayes is a guy who's athletic enough, not super athletic, but he's he's a pretty athletic guy. Uh, he's not a necessarily good shooter yet, but he's flashed glimpses of good shooting. Uh, like in, in the EuroLeague tournament uh, near the end of this past season for him, he shot very well on good volume from three. He, uh, he's got very good basketball IQ. He's, he's a good passer. He's, he's very good in the pick and roll. Maybe he has relied on the pick and roll a little bit too much so far. Uh, he, he's got all the, all the makings of an all-around game. Also, he's, you know, physically speaking, anthropometrically speaking, he's got a good wingspan. Uh, he, he works on defense. He's just a hard worker in general, apparently, you know, by, by all accounts, is, is just a, a good guy, hard worker. Uh, his main issue, he's got two main issues. Number one, he's still working out uh, the, the flaws in his game, whether it be, you know, particularly in, in the realm of shooting. And it's not that he's a bad shooter. He just isn't quite there yet. Uh, he's not a guy you look at and say, uh-oh, like there's a major red flag, like Evdia, for example, is a, is not a good free-throw shooter, and that's worrying. So Hayes doesn't have these issues. And correct me if I'm wrong, isn't Hayes an excellent free-throw shooter? Yep, upwards of 90%. Yeah. So, uh, but Hayes' biggest issue, because those, you know, I, I, I'm personally fairly confident, like, this kid as a shooter. Uh, you got a guy with a good work ethic who's got the makings of a good shot and has had some success as a shooter on good volume. I think he can do that. His issue as we said in the player previews is just that he is stupidly left-hand dominant. Like (laughs) it it just still amazes me that none of his coaches along the line somewhere said, dude, you have to learn to play with your right hand. No exceptions. We're just going to spend the off season doing this and you're going to get it right because it's a huge weakness. You have a guy who is just very predictable because you know, he's going to go to his left hand. Uh, Like if you make him drive right and pass the ball, he will often just do it with his left hand. Instead of just passing with his right, he will go to his left and, and take a backhand pass, and that's not accurate. It may, you know, could make some Verona turning over the ball, but more just at the EuroLeague level, you can still, and at pretty much any level, like the, the NBA is just such a different beast as far as how teams will play you, and, and the level of competition, of course, is sky high. At the NBA level, if you have that kind of weakness where you know, uh, oh, well, this guy can only pass and shoot with his, you know, he can only pass and he can only finish the basket with his left hand. You say, okay, well, we'll just make minor tweaks to our defense and we'll put a good defender on him and just have them just make him drive right. And then suddenly your player is playing at like two-thirds effectiveness and that just can't happen. So that's the primary concern about Killian Hayes. I think it is a risk worth taking. So uh, he's the player. If he's on the board, I'm not even thinking. I'm you know, I'm, I'm calling his name immediately at number seven. And I do believe he'll be on the board because I don't think there's any team for which you, for whom you – for which excuse me, he really really makes sense uh, in the first six picks. Right. I'm going to respond to Killian Hayes, but I have a different pick, so I'll, I'll do both of those. Um, 
my my thing with Killian is I'm I'm so up and down on Killian because sometimes I believe he can get his shot together, and then there are other times where I feel like there are like there are those glaring issues with his game. Like teams will absolutely game plan like if there's a weakness like your primary ball handler uh can only drive one way, they're absolutely going to game plan that. And if you're if you're if your primary ball handler, which would be Killian Hayes, uh if he gets taken by the Pistons, uh is neutralized that hard that's going to lead to some serious issues with your offense i know that he is working on it like every interview uh that i've watched of his where they talk about like what are some things in your game that you want to fix he always immediately says he's like i want to work on my right hand i need to learn how to be more versatile and that's huge because in the nba if you're that predictable like they will stop you you can't there's no room for error he wasn't even playing um that well when he was in the euro league or the french league uh he played a lot better in the weaker German league. Uh, and he played on a pretty mid-tier team that admittedly did do a lot worse when he uh, opted to not return uh, to play when the German league came back. But his, like you said, or his his free throw shooting is really good. And that is typically a pretty good indication of like whether a player has is for real with their jump shot. Um, he's only averaged over two years, I think 30%. His time in France, in the French leagues, he was not good at all. Like he only shot, I think, 20% from threes. But then when he went to the German league, he boosted that all the way up to 40%. And uh, he wasn't taking like the easiest shots either. He was, some of his threes were like these step back threes. And that's part of the intrigue with him. If that step back three is for real, that's, that's a really, really great move to have in your arsenal. That's like one of the toughest shots to guard. On the other hand, if it's not for real, like he comes to the he comes to the greatest league in the world, then he can't get that shot off, and they're game planning him, put, forcing him right. I mean, I don't think he will re, like reach his reasonable ceiling at all or his projected ceiling at all. Like, I think his ceiling is maybe a top fifteen point guard, and at this range, yeah, that's that's a good building block for a, a future championship team. But I, I don't know that he has like star potential. Uh, he has good handles. He's got good size for a point guard. His vision is really good, but he needs to get those passes off with two hands. Um, so I would not go with Killian A's. My pick uh, is more of a, a safe pick, which I know people don't want to hear, uh, but I'm going to go with Devin Vassell. And I'm I'm saying Vassell because I think his game has probably one of the best chances in terms of shooting and guard play uh, of transferring or translating rather to the NBA because what he is is pretty much pure three and D he doesn't do a whole lot of ball handling. Uh, he's just a six foot six long wingspan guard out of Florida state with a gorgeous jumper shoots from the top of his head. Uh, he's adding a little bit more to his scoring arsenal. And I, after two years of Florida state shooting upwards of 41%, I believe in his shot. And I think that in today's NBA, you can't have too many guys who have decent size, really good team defense. and a really good shot that's going to be hard to stop. Uh, I think that the Pistons are nowhere near done with this rebuild, and they shouldn't be. They should be trying to get worse picks. Like, the Pistons kind of got screwed by the fact that the season was cut off because we probably would have had top three odds, or top five odds, rather, uh, if the season had finished out just because after we traded Drummond and Jackson and Morris, the Pistons were absolutely terrible, and I think the Pistons intend on being uh, pretty terrible for the next at least two years. Uh, I'd be disappointed if they signed on like Fred Van Vliet uh, and kind of derailed that process of, you know, 
building from scratch, but I'm going to have to go with Vassell. I think there are going to be better players in the next two drafts uh, that are getting a lot more hype than this draft. And I think getting a good role player who will make his teammates better is more valuable right now than a question mark point guard who uh, I don't think has a very, very high ceiling and has fairly, fairly substantial bust uh, uh, probability. What do you think? I mean, I, I think Vassell will be a good pick for whoever takes him. I just think at, the, at this point, the Pistons need to gamble on a guy who can actually yep. create offense for himself because that's, I mean, that's just an area in which the roster is incredibly weak. And the Pistons need a lead guard. I mean, if you look at 2021 also, I mean, you've got Kate Cunningham, of course, who, um, you know, can probably play any, uh, you know, between one and four, but, uh, I believe uh, I'm not quite as, as, as up to date on, on the 2021 class. I believe the guy primarily plays point guard. He's another very, very tall point guard. Yep. But if the Pistons are not getting, if the Pistons are picking in, in the, in the upper part of that draft beyond that, it's a lot of, it's just guys who are, who are wings, uh, you know, a lot of shooting guards and small forwards, guys who could be, you know, who could be very good. So I think looking forward to next draft, I mean, if you're selecting, unless you just get very, Pistons are bad and get very lucky and, and are, are there to select Kate Cunningham. I mean, you just, you don't really, just next year's draft isn't very strong on, on, at this point. I mean, that's, of course, absolutely subject to change. But at this point, next year's draft isn't looking too strong for point guards. So that's another thing. But really, pretty much, I'm just focusing on, on this year. You just, you never know what next year's pick is going to be. And I think if the Pistons have a shot at a guy who can potentially be that point guard of the future and do a good job. And and I don't think it'll be a star, but if you get a top 10 point guard, I mean, it's just a very important building block. And if, uh, if, if Devin were a guy who could, uh, you know, who had some capacity to create offense for others as well, uh, I would feel differently. But at this point, he he's just doesn't really have that. So I, I'd more go with the guy who can create offense for himself, create offense for others, uh, who, can, who can be one of your lead ball handlers. Right. All right. So we've gotten to the Pistons. Uh, a lot of you will remember that uh, at the trade deadline, or very shortly before the trade deadline, uh, there was talk of a trade of Luke Kennard to the Phoenix Suns. And it actually got into the advanced stages of discussion before falling apart over the protections that the Suns were demanding. Uh, now, unusually, we don't actually know what those protections were. Uh, I, I think if, this, if the Pistons, I hate to put it this way, nobody likes to hear this. I think if the Pistons were a more significant team, and were, were you know were more uh, just more significant team in the national on the national level, uh, somebody would have really dug into this and made sure that we knew exactly what those protections were. Uh, you know, of course, maybe that wouldn't be possible, but I think I think it's likely we probably would have known. But we don't know what those protections were. It's possible the Suns were saying, "Oh, we wanted lottery protected." I think that's incredibly unlikely because the Pistons would have laughed at them. Also, the Suns at that point, I think, were like in twentieth place. Uh, so they were right around where they ended up. So I have to, I'm guessing that I could be absolutely not really wrong about this. I'm guessing the protections were, were high up. The, the Suns didn't want to risk their season. Uh, you know, I, I know they wanted to make the playoffs. They didn't want to risk their season uh, going in a different direction or maybe them just jumping in the lottery uh, and, and to the top three and risking a pick for the sake of Luke Kennard, which makes perfect sense to me. But uh, I think it's likely that they were just kind of protecting higher up in the draft. The Suns went in and had their miracle bubble run which was uh, a little deceptive because I think two thirds of the teams they played were either missing key players or 
you know, missing or, or they were the, uh, the wizards who were not really a bubble team. <laughs> they were missing all of their key players. So uh, the Suns got some really good luck in terms of injuries to, and injuries and just general absences, the opposition, not saying they didn't play well, but it, it, they, I don't, I mean, they wouldn't have, have done what they did if they, <clears throat> if not, excuse me, if not for a lot of, a lot of good fortune. But I think the, the fact that they almost made, uh, they almost made it into the playoffs may actually motivate them further to look to a win now trade. Now the, the reports at the deadline were that they were looking at Luke as a big minute kind of high volume sixth man. Uh, that's the role that I've wanted him to play for the Pistons for two seasons. Now uh, I think he could do well there. And uh, I think the, you know, I think the, like I said, I think the fact that they do well in the bubble could motivate them further to look for a win now sort of guy rather than to trying to build somebody through the draft. I wouldn't, if I were them, you know, if, if, uh, if uh, Vassal were there, for example, at, at number 10, I would say, you know, hell yeah, we're taking him right away. But uh, Pistons have a couple things working for them. Number one, as we saw last year in the draft, I mean, James Jones, who had no pedigree of any kind in management, <laughs> is, uh, you know, he, he's, he didn't do the greatest job in his first draft. He's just, what he did was a little puzzling. And also the Pistons have uh, double agents, not actually, but Jeff Bauer, uh, Jeff Bauer, a lot of you might not actually know his name. He was the uh, titular GM under Stan Van Gundy. He actually, Stan Van Gundy said, did all of the GM work during the season. So like the trade for Tobias Harris and whatnot. I mean, granted, that was deposited at uh, at the Pistons' feet by a complete idiot and Rob Hennigan, who was the GM of, of, uh, of the Magic at the time. Uh, you know, that was Jeff Bauer. I don't think he really deserves much credit for it. If he said, uh, you know, who knows? Like, I don't know. What we do know is that he's a terrible drafter, just <laughs> awful, and not particularly confident. Uh, competent, excuse me. Like cause during his time with the with the Pelicans, I think there were Hornets back then. He was just uh, completely and utterly awful as a drafter. So I think the Pistons have that going for them. So we'll just proceed on with this draft with uh, with the under the scenario that the Pistons do trade uh, Luke Kennard for that number ten pick. I like Luke. I just, I, I don't think, I think if the Pistons are going to be going through like a two or, you know, two or three year rebuild, he doesn't fit the timeline. I'm concerned about his injuries. Apparently these sons were not, I guess. So, and, and for the record, I don't think the Suns were picking him for the sake of a playoff push because Luke at that point had been out for more than a month and had no return dates and he wouldn't actually return for his, his date of return was the next game after the season ended. So six weeks after the trade deadline. In any event, uh, so let's move on with that. So uh, that's number eight. And... Yep, that's the Knicks. Yep, take it away. All right, so with the assumption that the Pistons take Hayes at number seven, uh, I'm picking the I'm picking Vassell for the Knicks. Uh, the Knicks have similar problems to the Pistons in that they kind of haven't prioritized shooting over the last few years. Uh, R.J. Barrett, not a great shooter. Alfred Payton, if he's still even there. Uh, Dennis Smith Jr. A lot of these guys are just not shooters, so I think the Knicks need shooting. And uh, just like I mentioned, Vassell is another is just a guy who is going to space the floor, provide great team defense, and he's just a building block for the future. The Knicks are not a piece away; they're not two pieces away. They they just need guys who can help set a defensive culture and can make their team better. And I feel like the Knicks kind of. At, at the eighth spot, I feel like that's just the best player available uh, easily. So I'm going to go with Vassell uh, at the eighth spot. And 
not go too much into it because we already kind of uh, explained Vassell. Yeah, you see, uh, just like with the Cavs, for me, this is like, oh, it's the Knicks. And the Knicks were still desperate to find their next good ball handler and uh, and are not a competent team. So if I'm the Knicks, I'm going with Cole Anthony, the flashy, athletic guy. Like you said, they're obsessed with that. You know, they're obsessed with athleticism, which makes – you didn't say that. I mean, say that. You said they didn't go with shooters, and that's true. It's <laughs> true. They've managed to uh, – Get a bunch of guys who are not good shooters. If they were to draft, you know, in the in a funny scenario, they would draft Lamelo. They could technically field a, a five point guard lineup, and none of them would be able to shoot. <clears throat> so, uh, for them, I think they're just still obsessed with finding that flashy uh, primary ball handler for the offense. I think that's what the Knicks are about. I think they would take a hometown boy. That's Cole Anthony, who has potential. I wouldn't take him if I were them. If I were the Knicks, I would. Uh, Oh, geez, this is just, I'm having such trouble separating myself from like the, from like the endless mess that is the Knicks and just saying, who would I take? So, uh, I think the Knicks would take either Anthony or Okoro, probably Anthony, cause they, cause they just drafted RJ Barrett. I think they would like Okoro for his athleticism and his, uh, and his potential two-way game. But I, I think, uh, RJ Barrett will probably be playing, you know, be your primary wing, uh, you know, play small forward for a long time. I don't think they really look for Okoro. So if I were them, I would take Anthony. Yeah, I can I could see them taking Anthony too, but because one, Anthony's from New York, they they need a point guard. I think Anthony does have a very high ceiling. Um but I I, I think that's a risky pick for the Knicks. He could just be another one of those like players that the Knicks have been drafting where it's like he has a questionable shot, but he has a really high ceiling, and then they don't seem to have the personnel or just Whatever it is, they just don't seem to be able to get any of their guys to like their ceiling, and I think they they could really use a guy who's more of a, I guess, sure thing. In yeah, I agree in that case. What what I would say though is I don't think that they would draft RJ and then Vassell because I think uh, I think as much as the Knicks and this is I think largely thanks to Dolan and to James Dolan, who's arguably the worst owner in the league. I think that. Uh, that they've been rebuilding, but I think the guy still wants to win, like, stat, <clears throat> if he can. So it's like, if we can draft a player, you know, it, it, I think he he seems to basically have one foot on both sides of the line. Like, yeah, let's rebuild. But, you know, if we can't find that guy who can help us win right now, let's do it. So I think that uh, if they had the choice between bundling Barrett with Anthony or with Vassell, I think they would go with Anthony just because... Uh, the uh, the two of them would probably be a significantly better fit if things worked out, and that's a big if. Yeah, if things work out, yes, I agree with you. But I think that uh, Anthony's a risk, and I do like him. Uh, like, I really liked him. Like, uh, I think I had him fifth on my board because I really do believe that, like, he was a product of his uh, – or his numbers and percentages at UNC were a product of his horrible – I feel bad saying, but, like, his teammates just were not good. Uh, and he didn't have – he didn't have shooters around him and he didn't have like a highly athletic center to help him out in the pick and rolls. Like he was doing a lot of the work himself. And I, and in that sense, I like, I believed in Anthony because like when I watched his game, I was like, well, he can't get to the hoop because he's got two non-spacing guys crowding the paint. Uh, he can't kick it out because he's only got one shooter on the floor with him. He, he's just, he has to do it all himself. And I think people kind of like unnecessarily uh, dogged Anthony, but uh, I would still go with Vassell. I think I still like Vassell more than Anthony in this case. Gotcha. All right, moving on to number nine. That would be the Washington Wizards. And at this point, if I'm the Wizards, uh, I'm unhesitatingly taking a Kongwu. Yep. So I don't 
but I think uh, like a lot of people have compared a Kong with a Bam. I think it's uh, I've said I said this in, in our in our draft previews. I think it's an uh, it's an extremely lazy comparison. I think it's largely done on the basis of oh look at these guys. They're both really densely built, somewhat undersized at center, and good at defense. I mean, there's a lot that makes Bam special. That makes him more than just a, a just a traditional center. Traditional centers who are increasingly just a liability in the league because shooting and spacing and, and just often in general is so important. Uh, Bam is not only a fantastic defender at the NBA level, which is very different from the NCAA level. <laughs> very, 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 very different. And he's not only that, but he's much more than an off- than a traditional center in offense by means of his spacing and his and his offensive IQ. So is so, but you know, nonetheless, Kongu is I would say the ultimate safe pick in this in this year's draft mm-hmm. because. You'll probably get exactly what you see out of him, which is that, yeah, he is very athletic. He is a multi-positional defender. He can definitely switch. And he'll probably be a good interior scorer. And he's a hard worker. Okay, So this is a guy who you can take and you can be reasonably certain that you'll, uh, you'll probably get a good, you know, it, it, a respectable starter out of the bargain. Uh, now, the risk with him is that he will never learn to shoot, and he has no pedigree as a shooter, like none. Uh, he, he attempted some mid-range offense at, at, at USC. Uh, and it's in this one, one and only year in the, in the NCAA without much success. So you're taking the risk that he'll never be able to shoot. And if he couldn't, if he can shoot, great. He's a lot more useful. Uh, his, his ability to create offense is basically at this point limited to the post game. And there's that post game, uh, you know, you can do it in the NCAA by bullying guys who are smaller, just less talented than you. And the NCAA, in the, in the NBA post offense, is not really a viable. It's not really, it's, it's slow paced and it's not particularly efficient unless you're very good at it, like Joel Embiid. Or, or Jokic, uh, or I believe Towns, uh, I could be wrong, uh, or Marcus Aldridge. Now, there are very few guys who can pull off post-offense uh, as a reliable form of offense. So, But nonetheless, for the Wizards, I mean, you've got Thomas Bryant, who's no slouch. and He's a fairly good offensive center. But uh, Kongwu, I think, uh, Bryant is, is just not the greatest defender. He's just not the greatest fit as a starting center. He's a great guy for your backup center. So I think that's... And a Congo could be a good guy, a very good guy in the pick and roll. Uh, you know, he, he uh, rolls very strongly to the basket. He's got great verticality and making a good fit with John Wall if he comes back. So the shooting would be real nice to have at center next to John Wall right. uh, because John Wall can't really shoot. Nonetheless, I think this is the pick that the Wizards would take uh, pretty much without hesitation at number nine. I think I think you were right exactly. I think it would be Okongwu. I don't. If I was a Wizards Wizards fan, I would not be super happy with it but i'd still i'm still making that pick though like i agree with you i think it would be okongwu um a lot of pistons fans really want okongwu they see him being like a ben wallace type like pure defense really hard worker uh like the anchor type guy i don't think that's as valuable in the nba as it was no i'm I'm not saying i think it's it's just it's not as valuable as it was when ben wallace was around playing in the league like Okongwu, even if he's providing great defense on one end, he can't step away from the basket on the other or else he's just going to be standing alone. And then his man is going to be like at least one foot in the paint, like ready to provide help defense. And that's like the main difference between Bam and Okongwu. If you watch these playoffs, you've seen that like Bam spaces the floor despite having no jumper. And he does that with his passing. 
Okongwu doesn't have, like, he hasn't shown any of that type of passing. We saw, like, Drummond learn how to do this a little bit before the, the Griffin trade. This was a, another casualty of the Griffin trade. As soon as Griffin came, uh, this budding passing game that Andre had where he had these, like, nice pocket passes and he was actually, like, pulling guys out of the paint, uh, that went away pretty much immediately. And uh, I just don't think, I don't have, it's not a risk that I want to take saying that Okongwu could make those passes. Yeah, I mean, I... I I mean I'll say about Drummond. Yeah, he had he had he was he was situational situationally excuse me useful as a as a passer. Uh, I, I never thought he was particularly good because he was extremely turnover prone, and uh, there were only some passes he could make. Also, the guy was just awful at handling the ball, whereas Bam has some ability uh, to move with the ball. The thing about Bam is just that he knows where to pass. The guy just has an instinctive knowledge of where to be on both ends, like at all times. Yeah. Uh, if he's you know yeah he is a good passer. He knows where to go after he passes. He knows where to go if he's not passing. Uh, so he just he has value on offense. He manages to have a, to have a good degree of value on offense, despite the fact that he can't shoot. So, um, as far as so you know, as far as that comp, I mean, I think you could say, and I've I've seen you know plenty of people say, oh, you could he could develop like Bam. It's like it's true he could, but the chances are that he won't because hardly anybody does. Right. Yeah, as far as comes to Ben Wallace, I know that, that you know this is just kind of like a, a minor thing, but uh, but Ben Wallace, you know, prime Ben Wallace, number one was about thirteen years ago. He really started to fall off after the uh, after the two thousand six two thousand seven season, uh, which is his first with the Bulls. Uh, it's easy to uh, to look back, you know, at that gap and forget just how good the defense Ben Wallace was. Uh, I, I I would say pretty unhesitatingly that there's nobody in the league right now who's like who's like him on defense. I mean, I'd say arguably he could be even more valuable these days as a defender, just because he can he could switch on anybody, like anybody, anybody. Uh, especially because there, you know, with the exception of MB, there aren't really there's no Shaq in the league, there's no Yao Ming in the league, there aren't like these hulking centers who could provide uh, you know an issue for him because they're so much bigger than he is. Uh, the centers have been trending down in size. They've been getting small. They've been getting. Uh, Thinner and more mobile, basically. I mean, Embiid is is an, is is an exception to this. A guy who somehow managed to play good defense despite being pretty darn big. But uh, but in terms of a league that prizes getting uh, good assignments, you know, getting switches onto players who can be beaten in isolation, you're not going to beat prime ben, prime ben Wallace in isolation. He's probably as fast, you know, barring like the the quickest point guards in the league. Uh, he's going to be about as fast as you are. <laughs> I mean, even against these point guards, he's, he's, his, his defensive IQ, which is uh, amazing, is probably enough to to enable him to stay ahead of you somehow. He's, he's just fantastic at playing health defense. I mean, a guy like Okongwu, even Bam is, you know, he's a great defender. Uh, to how well does he compare to Ben Wallace? I don't think he'll ever be as good as Brian Ben Wallace. Very, 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 very few guys uh, will, be, will ever be as good on defense as Brian Ben Wallace. So you can look at Okongwu and say, oh, he could be our Ben Wallace uh, I'd say the answer is no. I mean, unless this guy just surprises everybody by becoming this offensive defensive mastermind, that's not going to happen. There's also the fact, like you said, that Ben Wallace would not be as valuable in today's NBA because he was an offensive liability. I mean, the guy, in addition to being a, a heinously bad free throw shooter, was just, you know, just not a good offensive player. Maybe that would be different in today's NBA, you know, in today's league because he wasn't asked to do much on offense back then, and that was okay. And he somehow managed to be, you know, a great player despite being, in, you know, almost absent on offense. But, um, yeah, I just I object to any com- any comparisons to Ben Wallace by the likes of Okongwu. I just I don't think that's I don't think that's valid at all. Right. So, okay, moving on to number ten. 
All right, so this would be that hypothetical Luke Kennard traded to Phoenix. We get their 10th pick. And uh, in this case, I would take Cole Anthony. I think he's a, I think he's he's a risk worth t- worth taking at uh, number ten. Uh, the Pistons, like you said, we do need a point guard. Uh, and yeah, we've already got one. Though. We've already got one, but I still think that Killian Hayes could be a, a combo guard, shooting guard. And I think Cole could still be that primary ball handler because I don't think he's as good off ball. But I don't think you can have. I don't think there's a real issue with taking uh, two point guards to start, and if both of them are good or. Uh, you feel like there's too much of a log jam. You trade one of them away. You pro- hope you can get decent return back. I think the risk uh, is just worth taking at this point. The Pistons don't need. We're not. They, we don't have like a time crunch because there's no player on our roster right now uh, who's like got a short window besides Griffin. But I don't consider him a part of the future anyway. So I, I would happily take Cole Anthony. Uh, my ideal draft would still be Vassell at seven. Make this trade. And then uh, take Cole Anthony for uh, the point guard duties. But even then, like, I-, I don't think we need to be in the biggest hurry to to fill out the ball handling role. We can still just sign like a m- mid-tier, almost out of the league point guard and just coast on that position for a year or two while we wait for a better option through the draft. But uh, I-, I would still, in this case, disregard the the fact that we already have Killian Hayes in this mock and just take Cole Anthony because I think he. I think he has the higher ceiling uh, over Cole, uh, over uh, Killian Hayes, and uh, I think he's just the bigger risk, and I think that risk is just worth taking at 10. Who would you take? Uh, I would not take Cole Anthony, I know that much, and that's, that's because, you know, on paper I would say, you know, sure, but, you know, on paper, you know, exclusive of any other factors, you you know, you might look at it, I think, and say, well, it'd be good to have two and maybe one works out. I think that inherently if you're trying to develop two point guards at once, uh, you're distracting away from being able to develop either of them fully, and also they're going to know they're competing against each other, and that's not always the greatest thing. But I, I think also just, yeah, if you're trying to develop that ball handler, you, you don't want to be splitting your attention. So uh, I'm going to get my 1A and 1B here. I know that's kind of a cop-out. Uh, Isaac Okoro, I know we both kind of panned him because uh, because his offense is not a sure thing. At number 10 in this draft, I would, I would take a flyer on him, I think. Uh, the guy... You know, defense will always be helpful. Of course, you don't want to short sell his defense. That's helpful to have him, you know, all these multi-positional defenders, you said, especially, you know, as it gets more and more in the playoffs about switches and just having those guys out there, uh, you know, who are able to handle uh, several positions on on what in playoffs often becomes an isolation, isolation heavy offenses. He's very athletic, and if he puts it together and has has a good shot, he could become a very good 3 and D wing. Uh, I wouldn't want to, if the Pistons had only one pick, I would not want them to risk it on him because it's like, I just do not risk <laughs> your, your, your only first round bad draft pick, or even if you have two of them, you're higher for a first round draft pick and a guy who may not ever pan out as a shooter. But if we're going at number 10, uh, he's a guy who's super athletic. He's a good defender. Uh, he could, you know, he's got kind of elementary ability at this point. I mean, he's, he could develop a new guy who could attack off the dribble to a degree. And if he can shoot great, you've got your small forward of the future. Fantastic. So it, it goes though it goes against uh, a fair amount of my own philosophy in a way. Uh, yeah, at number ten, if he were available, I would take him. Uh, my one B would be Neesmith, who uh, you know if, if the Pistons haven't drafted uh, Devin Vassell, he's a and it's, sorry if we've been mispronouncing Vassell. I can never remember if it's Vassell or Vassell. Uh, in any event, uh, Neesmith's a great you know he's a great shooter in college, but he has his questions in the NBA level in terms of athleticism and health. Uh, and it's almost kind of like, 
you know, Luke Kennard, sure, he's not that big and he can't play small forward, but he's already on the team. Uh, and, you know, if, if you're confident enough about his injuries, I mean, he's, he's a guy who can, who can handle the ball pretty well, you know, pretty well, and he's a good shooter and so on and so forth. That just kind of, yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the lack of athleticism and I think the questions about injuries that's, that, that drive me away from, from Nathan McLeod. And also, I'm kind of with the Pistons. It's like, you know, like, please just, even if Okoro has his, has his warts, you know, if we're picking number 10, we've already had a, a you know, pick at number seven. I would like to take the guy who I think has the higher ceiling, and I think that's Okoro. Yeah, I I can understand that that reasoning at number ten, but I just get such Stanley Johnson vibes from Okoro, and by all accounts, Okoro is like a much harder worker and like better attitude guy, and like does all the intangibles uh, as opposed to Stanley. And really, the reason I make that comp is because they're both like stronger wings who were supposed to be really good at getting to the basket, and their shot was just supposed to come along at some other point. And Stanley's nearly out of the league, and I think there's a very good chance that Okoro's not in the league a few years from now. Uh, I think the NBA values shooting a lot more. And you mentioned earlier how you think uh, it would be Toppin or Okoro who drops, and I think it's going to be Okoro. Uh, We saw this last year with Nasir Little, who was kind of a similar uh, player makeup as uh, uh, Okoro, and he was like, just that athletic wing who was supposed to, uh, you know, kind of put it all together. And he hasn't really done that for Portland yet, but Portland picked him up at 25. And at 25, and you just, you take what you can 25, get. 25, you don't care. Right. Uh, I feel like 10 is a little bit high for Okoro. Uh, I wouldn't want him there. Uh, as far as Neesmith goes, I think that that's another good option. Like you said, he, I think he shot like 50% on threes, which is insane. He and, was an amazing shooter. Yeah. College, and yeah. if and if he didn't have those injury concerns, he might be out of the Pistons' reach, honestly. But uh, it's, it, it really does come down to the uh, the injuries for me as to why I would pass him up. But I think I would still take Neesmith uh, over Okoro. I mean, you look at, uh, you look at the Heat, and, and this will transition us to our next topic. You look at the Heat with Duncan Robinson. Right. I mean, and this is a guy who's not athletic at all and is made highly effective just by the fact that he's an incredible shooter in a system that's in a system that that works for him like duncan robinson i believe was <laughs> around 70 percent true shooting this year which is completely ridiculous uh, for a guy who is not a center which would be amazing even for a center uh and so yeah i mean if you can get a neesmith to play like that of course a lot of what's made robinson so effective is the heat both uh their ability to develop players. I mean, they're the best in the business at that. And Spolster being such a good coach, uh, to his, who is just excellent at maximizing the strengths and minimizing the weaknesses of his players. Like Spolstra, uh, who is set to coach in his fourth finals now, is, you know, was really underrated, I think continues to, to a degree to be underrated, but just because of, uh, just because he started with, you know, arguably at that point, possibly the greatest team ever assembled just in terms of talent. I think they were definitely superseded by the Warriors when Kevin Durant arrived, but LeBron, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh, and Spolster was coaching those guys, and it's like, you know, whatever. Just anybody could win with those guys. And who knows? I don't think he really even came into his elements with that team because he just didn't have the ability to. I mean, LeBron is going to be LeBron, and that, that's just a lot of star power, and it's hard as, as a as – a, 
a, a fairly inexperienced coach to really be able to, you know, to exert your vision upon your roster in that case. But ever since, I mean, I think he's one of the best coaches in the NBA. Yep. He's just, he's, he's, I think he's just a, a super innovative, highly adaptive and, and just overall strong coach on both ends. And that that's played, I believe, a large role in, in Miami being able to put together the run that they have. I don't think many people would have picked Miami to be in the finals, uh, to get out <laughs> of the East and to be in the finals. Uh, I really like Miami as a team because, uh, not just because they're super well coached, uh, or because they're, they're just a hardworking team. I think that's thanks to both Pat Riley, who somehow managed to make this work. Because, you know, at the beginning of the season, he, he had a roster that was just saddled with a bunch of bad contracts. Yep. Uh, so that, thanks to, to Spolster and Pat Riley, this is a team that is much more than the sum of its parts. And I think that's very difficult to pull off. But, uh, yeah, that's where we are right now. As of the recording of this episode, this is the day after the Heat defeated the uh, completely lost-looking Celtics in, in Game 6 of the Eastern Conference Finals. So... Uh, yeah, let's let's just transition and talk a little bit about the finals. Uh, I, I'm just going to come out straight out and say it, and maybe the Heat will make idiots of me. I don't think they match up very well against the Lakers. Uh, I think the East really just didn't go as expected. Uh, I mean, the, the the Raptors, it would have been the Raptors against the Heat if not for Pascal Siakam just completely uh, falling off whatever. He had a terrible series against the Celtics, just awful. Uh, I don't think the Celtics were really ever that good. I mean, it hurt that they lost Gordon Hayward, who had an awesome regular team. Awesome, well, not, maybe not necessarily compared to his price, but uh, but for for the role he was asked to play, he was very good. Uh, very good the regular season, a seventeen and a half points and almost sixty percent true shooting. Uh, and it really hurt that they didn't have him at one hundred percent. But the Celtics, it was just isolation in the fourth quarter, like especially as it went down to the you know down to the crunch time, isolation, isolation, isolation. You know, we're going to give the ball to Brown. Or we're going to give the ball to Tatum. We're going to give the ball to Walker. And if it's Brown or Tatum, they'll drive in and get stopped and then turn around and take this awful post jumper. Uh, or if it's Kemba, he'll just, you know, do his best at the basket. And it made me think less of Brad Stevens. But also, like, there were just points, certainly uh, the points particularly against the Heat and certainly in game six, like down the stretch, just something fall apart, completely fall apart. So the Raptors really didn't come through as expected. The Celtics didn't come through as expected. Uh, the Sixers, of course, uh, were were screwed from the very beginning, you know, <laughs> losing Simmons. So I think that helped the Heat get out of the East. So not to mention I the like Bucks. Them. I'll be rooting for them, but I don't, yeah. I don't think they're going to win. Yeah, I was surprised at the Bucks. I, I thought they were going to go oh, to the finals yeah, the this time. Well, that's Giannis. Yeah, I forget. I knew I was forgetting somebody. Yeah, Giannis. Getting injured, that's a big problem for that team. That's the one yeah. thing that team cannot, just just cannot, they cannot weather Giannis getting injured. Right, that, and I mean, they just, there was no variety in their offense. There's like, if their three, if their three-point shots weren't falling, it was, yeah, there was just nothing there. they could do. And like Giannis, yeah. they did a good job stopping Giannis, whoever it was that eliminated them. I don't even remember who it was, but Giannis was just not as effective that series. He was having trouble. That was getting, the Heat, I believe, it was, wasn't it? It was the Heat. You're absolutely yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. First round seems like a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> it really does, but yeah, no. I think. I, I guess I'll say, I'll ask you this. Uh, you might have already touched on this, but Lakers versus Heat. Who do you got? Oh, I just said I, I don't think that the Heat can beat the. Uh, I don't think the Heat can beat the Lakers. Right. I, just, I don't. I don't think. I think it's, it was easy for them to 
I think it was easier for them to get out of the East because of those factors, because Giannis went down um, because the Celtics just kind of, because the, the Raptors sort of fell apart or Siakam fell apart. Uh, and then, and then the Celtics sort of fell apart. I don't think the Heat are a bad team by any means. I really like them. I just, I think that's, I don't think that they have the, the, the sort of caliber team that's going to be the Lakers. Who knows? Maybe it could be a, a situation where it's like the 2004 Pistons, you know, and I know right. it's, it's sort of been brought up in response, you know, with regards to the Heat and having no stars. I don't, I don't like the comparison. Uh, I know you don't either, but, you know, it could be something where it's like, oh, yeah, who knows? Maybe I'll give them no chance and they'll end up handily winning the series, but I don't think that's going to happen with, with LeBron and AD and the other team. Yeah. I'll say this. Yeah, this is just pure editorial here. People are, like, upset or they don't want the Heat to win. And, like, be- because they're getting these 4 uh, Pistons comps. And in terms of, like, the the play style and, like, the individual, like, point guard versus point guard, yeah, there's really not a lot of similarities there. I think people are more alluding to the DNA. But I wouldn't – I don't like that it's going to be Heat versus Lakers. I really would have preferred uh, for Denver to make it uh, and win it all because they've been – like, Jamal Murray and – Jokic have just been so much fun to watch, but uh, I guess one way you could look at it is the 04 Pistons, they get a lot of respect for what they did, and for people to like mention them uh, with this with this heat run kind of speaks to the amount of respect that they get as like a team who wasn't supposed to have a shot, and they proved everybody wrong. Uh, and I, In that sense, I can kind of appreciate the comps. I kind of liked having the Pistons be the team that you know, they were the ones who did that. That was like our thing. But Miami's culture has been like a well-known thing where like they push those guys so hard in terms of the training. And you can see now that it's really paying off. And I guess that's something that, you know, we're seeing the value in it again with this more balanced league where like nobody, there's no true super team. I think these playoffs have been so much fun compared to previous years. But, oh, yes. uh, but it's, it's just, it's another one of those things. It's just, you gotta take it as a as a compliment, and now that's I I think I'm gonna have to root for my I just I don't want to see any more Laker championships. I have friends in LA; they're gonna laugh at me. I mean, they were already like clowning me for like the Pistons' performance this year. It's like whatever we're we're doing what I wanted us to do and starting from scratch. But yeah, no more Laker championships. Miami has three. I'd prefer they get four as opposed to the Lakers getting number seventeen. Yeah, I I'd, I'd like to see the Heat win. And, and, you know, I'm not going to lie. There is part of me that it's like, you know, I want the Pistons to be the only team that has won a championship like this. That's it. I don't think the comparison is really apt. I mean, I think, I think, uh, I think Bam, if he continues on this level, will be an all-NBA player next season. Jimmy Butler is an all-NBA player this season. I know the Pistons had, Chauncey Billups was an all-NBA player during that time. Yeah. But uh, I think it's not the same sort of balanced team. I mean, you know, you don't have like Ben Wallace plus four guys who can explode for 30 points on any given night. Jimmy Butler is the clear leader of that team. Duncan Robinson is there to shoot threes. Tyler um, Hero is coming alive. Tyler Hero is coming alive, and it's like it's just a testament, both with Robinson and Harrow, it's a testament to Spolster's coaching on defense that he has managed through his own defense to avoid situations where either of them get where teams are able to isolate upon whether it be Harrow or Robinson, because uh, in a typical defense, it'd be like, okay, we'll just get a switch on the Tyler Harrow with Jason Tatum, and it's like, good luck. <laughs> So sorry, Tyler Harrow, you're a good shooter, but you're going to get absolutely torched by a guy who is, who is way bigger, way stronger, and way more explosive than you are. Yep. Uh, so like I said, it's just a testament to Eric Spolster's coaching. I mean, if you, uh, if you were to award coach of the year, you know, coach of the playoffs, I think, you know, he would be, there'd be no point in even thinking about it any further at this point. He's not going to get out coached by, by Frank Vogel. 
but uh, just in yeah, and it just it, just the team makeup is different. It's not really the same sort of very uh, you know egalitarian team. They're hard workers, absolutely. They've worked hard. They play an absolutely team first game, but it's just it's just different. I mean, Jay Crowder is I believe is starting. He's I don't really even know how to classify him, but it's just it's uh, you know with, with respect to the comparison of the 2004 Pistons, but it's just different. I, I don't think it's similar in any respect beyond that this is just the team's team uh, who, who managed to be more than the sum of their parts. But uh, the issue is that uh, just the star power for the Lakers, and to put it this way, I mean, LeBron, arguably the greatest player of all time, Anthony Davis, very, very good player. The Lakers are deep. Uh, they, they're, they're a very athletic team with good defenders. And uh, I just think that the the Heat are going to get out star power. They really haven't. You look at their path uh at their path uh, through the East. I mean, Miami, excuse me, Indiana, which is missing Sabanis, who's a big part of their offense. The two, you know, the, the Sabanis is, is the reason he was an all-star. He's a big part of their offense. So that, that was a big loss for them. Playing against the Bucks, who were really, uh, you know, Giannis was injured for most of the series and and his supporting cast was, was not good, particularly Middleton. But, you know, Bledsoe took a complete and absolute, absolute dump for the second uh, postseason in a row. Yep. And, um, and and then playing against the Celtics, who were sort of short Gordon Hayward, but also the Celtics are still a young team. Yeah. It's easy to forget that that, uh, that Tatum still is in his third season, Brown is in his fourth season. I mean, sure, that's where you hope you can win championships with guys like that, but they're a young team. I mean, you have Kemba there. Kemba did not have a good playoffs. He was completely hot and cold. Yeah. Uh, then Gordon Hayward was <clears throat> only around for a few games, really. So it, it was nowhere near 100. percent You could tell, and and the Celtics were also just. Not, I mean, their their rotation was was quite short. You expect that in the playoffs. The Lakers, the Lakers play a pretty deep rotation. Uh, Miami, uh, Miami, I think deeper than uh, deeper than the Celtics, I believe. But yeah, I just I just don't see that they'll have much of an answer for for both AD and LeBron at the same time. Butler has been kind of. You know, he's, he's got the best shot of stopping LeBron. You're going to have to put yep. uh, Adebayo on Davis. And I just hate to put it this way. I, I just, I, I think that they've got the depth and and and, uh, and the star talents that the Heat don't. And I think it's it's going to shine through in this case because they have not played against a team that is just like, wow, you have two, like, I don't know how you'd rate Davis. It's tough. To, I find it tough to do top five in the NBA this year because you can make, you know, you've got a couple players you can say are always in the top five. Uh, and then beyond, like LeBron and, and and Giannis, and you know, I guess Kawhi. And beyond that, it gets a little hazy. But I'd say LeBron. I'd say without hesitation. I don't think anybody anywhere disagree with me on this. I'd say without hesitation. I mean, LeBron and AD are the best two scorers in, in these <laughs> left in these in these playoffs. Yeah. And uh, and you could say they've been you know the best. Well, I'd say the only two guys who really compare to them are are Murray and, and Jokic. So. Um, well, unless you want to look in the first round of the playoffs and Donovan Mitchell. So, yeah, I think I, I just think the Heat will be outmatched. I'm, I'm calling Lakers in five, six, maybe. <laughs> I don't think I don't think the Heat will get swept. I don't think this is a team. I hate to like look at team ethos. I just don't think this is a team will get swept. Right. I'm. I mean, part of me is just looking at. Uh, you know that I love the uh, like the evolution of the big man. I love like watching this stuff unfold. And for me, the the most interesting matchup is probably going to be AD versus Bam because AD has just looked unstoppable at times in these playoffs. And then sometimes he just, I don't know, he, he doesn't, I don't know if it's just like his impact is so quiet. He doesn't, 
seem like he's there or what? Because, like, he always ends up getting, like, like even when you think he's had a bad game, he ends up with, like, 28 and 10. Uh, on, the, on the other hand, uh, Bam has just been really, really just a, such a good fit for uh, the Heat in these playoffs. And uh, I think it's going to – I'm interested to see what Spolster does because he adjusted so well uh, in the series against Boston – and I know that he knows that he is uh, a much tougher challenge with the Lakers. So I think it's, I think it's going to come. It might even come down to coaching because I don't think Vogel holds holds a candle to uh, to the <laughs> to Spolstra. He's done okay, but he's nothing special. Yeah. And uh, there's there's also going to be like the role players like uh, Duncan Robinson, but I also think it's going to come down to guys like KCP, Danny Green, and even Rondo has been hitting a lot of threes in these series. So. I don't think it's going to be that lopsided. I could be totally wrong. I mean, but I, I don't think it, it could be just my wishful thinking and me trying to like think of a way that the Heat can make this uh, not the seventeenth Laker championship. But I really do think that the Heat have a shot here. What they've been doing is pretty special. They've been playing very, very hard. Uh, they play a lot faster. That was one of the issues with Denver. Uh, Jokic could not keep up in terms of. In like in transition with the Lakers and Anthony Davis, the Heat oh, no. can. Yeah, it's true. But uh, on the other end, I would say that Jokic provides a uh, provides a source of off. Well, off uh, Jokic is unique, of course. Yeah. I mean, I've <laughs> you know when you play against Jokic, it's it's you watch team play against Jokic, it's pretty irritating to to see him get the ball, you know, in the post or or on the low block and. Uh, <laughs> or even on the elbow, and I know what you're you go to say. double team him, and then suddenly, or you can even triple team him if you want, and suddenly the ball is magically in the hands of uh, of a guy in the corner, yep. like on the other side of the court. <laughs> or he'll so, he'll do like the uh, yeah. like that the Sabonis like over the top of the head, just dump off into mm-hmm. somebody cutting in the paint. It was yeah that, or he does like the one dribble turnaround, shoots it straight over you. He was such a he it's just wasn't fair. as aggr- yeah he just wasn't as aggressive in this series. Like he wasn't trying to take those shots i think they were intimidated by or intimidated or just like held back by the lakers size but they could have been worn down too i mean yeah. this team had been basically playing every other night for right. a while so uh yeah it's uh yeah it'll be a very different sort of series for the lakers but yeah i, I just don't think that he'd have the talent to do it i hate i absolutely hate to put it that way but i just i just think that it, that the scoring talent is going to be a little overpowering for the lakers so what do you what would be your prediction for the series? In terms of games. I'll just say this. This this probably sounds a lot like what they were saying in 04. That might be part of it too. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> uh I, I guess I would I would I guess I'll go Heat in seven. That's just heat me being seven. that's partially me being optimistic, but I really do think that the Heat have a shot. Alright. So we'll see. So the, we're gonna move on to to the last segment of this podcast, which is hating on the Clippers. Um <laughs> And trust me, at least for me, no, I'm not jumping on the bandwagon. Uh, I thought the Clippers uh, had, at least going to the playoffs, I certainly thought they, had, they were the they were the favorites to win just from the talent they had. And uh, I started to to get a little sh- a little shakier on them, but still thought they were the favorites. Uh, you know, after after the against the Mavericks, the Mavericks, you know, could have if, if Porzingis had been healthy, could have won that series. I think. Uh, never liked the Clippers, <clears throat> and and here's why: I don't like Paul George. I think Paul George is the sort of guy who who has really no fortitude as far as saying, okay, this is where I want to win and I want to stay here and work hard for my team. 
<laughs> and, uh, you know, really be a good team player and, and work for my teammates and do whatever it takes and play whatever role I need to. Now he's a guy who's super mercurial and flighty and just hops from team to team and seems to take very little responsibility and, and just doesn't really seem to take anything seriously. Yeah, I know and Dame agrees with you. Who's that? Dame Lillard. Oh, <laughs> that was Can't that was baby. so funny. But I agree yeah. with you. Like he just didn't seem to have the mental, I don't know, like the no. fortitude, I guess, to just not let it get to him. Like when his Instagram was getting flooded with like a lot of hate, that admittedly was kind of funny. He blocked his Instagram. Like he, yeah, the mental. I don't blame him for that. Right. Yeah. I, don't blame him for that. <laughs> I, I think just being a jerk. I, I think people could can just be jerks on the you know on Instagram and the internet in general. I don't blame him for that. But it's like, what I do blame him for is that. He just uh, he doesn't stand up and uh, you know and, and uh, he doesn't put his money where his mouth is, so to speak. And often his mouth just runs off uh, and, and and just says all sorts of just stupid shit. But he's just like he's he's a player who just seems very spineless. You know, he he also wants to be highly respected, but he never wants to be the number one guy. And uh, but it's like, like I remember at the beginning of the season, uh, excuse me, last off season when he when he ended up on the on the Clippers. He's like, Oh, we recorded this promo. He's like, Oh yeah, I've been, I've been a fan of the, the Clippers since I was a kid. And it's like, no dude, you were a fan of the Lakers. And you <laughs> said that. And it's very clear. And what you're saying now isn't true. <laughs> yeah. Just like when you got up on the stage at the, you know, in Oklahoma city and said, Oh, I want to stay here. And clearly that wasn't true. Yep. And uh, it's just the same way he forced his way out of Indiana for really no good reason. So I just don't like the guy. <clears throat> I really don't. My opinion of Kawhi dropped substantially over the course of the last two years. He's screwed over the Spurs, who are just the classiest organization, uh, who I'm sure are trying to treat him well. I mean, to this day, I mean, I don't think anybody really knows exactly what happened. I mean, the guy just decided that he just didn't want to deal with them anymore or something. Uh, he just, he wouldn't communicate. Uh, he was just being, I don't know. I didn't really know how to put it. He just seemed, seemed to be extremely childish. He completely destroyed his trade value by, by insisting on a trade to particular teams. And, uh, yeah, if he forced his way out and then, and then last off season, by all accounts, he was an incredible diva. So <clears throat> yeah. And <laughs> like, I think, uh, I think it came out recently. I'm not sure if this is, if this has been confirmed that he, he told the Raptors, that he didn't think they would, you know, he didn't think they could win another championship with them. Uh, yep. Saw that report know. as well. Yeah. So my, my opinion of Kawhi really dropped, uh, he completely choked in game seven too, yeah. but, uh, both of them uh, and did. Patrick, what? Yeah, they both of them. Patrick Beverly. I just think I just think poorly of Patrick Beverly. I have for a long time. Patrick Beverly has no. Uh, he's a dirty player. Uh, he constantly runs his mouth. Uh, you know, and <clears throat> I just don't like the guy. And um, yeah, so there's just plenty to dislike about that team. In retrospect, their team construction was also pretty crappy. I mean, this isn't like a dis matter of dislike. The trade from Morris, it's like, sure, trade for the guy, but you've got three ball stoppers in the same team, you know, in the, in the starting lineup. He was terrible in game seven also. You barely even noticed he was there. Uh, I, but as far as Paul George, yeah, I like his new nickname, Way Off P. Instead of Playoff I, I P. Really yeah, when he hit the, he hit the side of the backboard. Yeah. yeah. I thought the Clippers were going to go to the finals. I thought they had the best chance to win it all this year. Like, I, when you say that, in hindsight, their roster construction was bad. I, I can't agree with that. I really thought they like in terms of like the modern NBA building through strong wings. And even though those two guys ended up choking, I thought, you know, the Clippers have proven themselves to be like in theory a very good organization recently. Like they make good trades, they make good moves. I still don't like them, 
And I mean, now you could say that five first round picks for Paul George was a horrible move, but like, (laughs) man, how much is that going to hurt if those two players leave? They, uh, I think they both can leave in a year. So yeah, they can. We'll if they, they're two years plus player option. We'll see what happens, but like, yeah, I really thought well, I the, say, the Clippers would make it. I will say they, they they were a team that had no primary ball handler. Yeah, these were guys. They that was a flaw. They had two. They had two wings who can, you know, off the driving kick create offense for others, but they had no primary ball handler, and that turned out to really hurt. Like they, their offense looked a little bit wonky because they had nobody who was just capable of. Uh, capable of leading an offense. I think Reggie Jackson was starting at point guard for them at one point in the playoffs. And he was, he's, was I mean, he? we've seen, yeah, we've seen that. He, I think it was against uh, the Mavericks and we've seen like, he's just not driving anymore. Like he can but really he only shoot. Yeah. I mean, well, and Pat Bev, yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, Pat no, Bev, he's just not. Yeah. He lost his athleticism. I mean, he, right. that, was, that was a casualty of his knee problems. Right. And, and getting to the basket became a lot harder for him. Yeah, and he was a, he was a really good pickup for, like, the minimum, which is what they ended up paying him. But they asked him to do too much because they just didn't have a good primary ball handler. Even Pat Bev, who, I mean, he's he's tough. He plays defense. But he's he's just not a great passer. And he's not a great uh, shooter either. Yeah, looks like uh, – I'm just looking at the stats. Yeah, they did uh, – Brecci did play pretty heavy minutes against the Mavericks. But after that, it tailed off, and uh, he yeah because uh, him. yeah Pat Bev was injured in that series. No, oh, it was okay. Yeah, so he got DMP'd in uh, in one game against the Nuggets, and then he came off the bench to play some great minutes for the Nuggets in Game Seven. <laughs> uh, by which I mean that he came over, came out, and missed a few. You know, and the, and the, the announcers was like, were like Reggie Jackson on the floor for the Clippers, and he came out and missed a couple shots and fucked up a couple times, and that was the end of the season. He was a minus nine in four minutes. That's impressive. So, uh, yeah, and I mean that that basically pretty much exactly spells out how poorly he played in that very short span. I, I feel bad saying I like Reggie now. You know, I think he the 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 pummeling he got early on, you know, like in his second season with the Pistons, was completely justified because he was awful and egotistical. But he got just railed on in his last couple seasons, despite the fact that you know it wasn't really his fault at that point. His body just wasn't holding up. Uh, and he really had become a team player at that stage. So, but uh, yeah, I was I was just glad to see the Clippers gone. It was a team that was they were a team that was created by by Kawhi being a diva, by Paul George forcing another trade, and uh, they were just completely full of themselves with gigantic heads from the beginning, <clears throat> and they choked and they choked and they lost against a team that that played a, a hard working team game, and uh, I was just glad to see it happen. <laughs> Yeah, I was just glad to see it happen. So, uh, and yeah, the Clippers could be the most screwed team in the league if if Paul George and Kawhi Leonard leave. If they don't win a championship next season, it does. It, I don't think it's out of the question that uh, that that PG and Kawhi could leave, and that would not make me unhappy. Uh, <laughs> uh, I do feel slightly bad for Doc Rivers, who is now the the all time choker in, in, in NBA playoff history, like pretty much without you know. It's like without equivocation. I mean, the guy's just blown three, three to one leads. And I mean, that's his, uh, that's not all on him. And sure, I'm, I'm pretty confident the Clippers would have won if they hadn't, uh, in this series, if, if PG and Kawhi hadn't been fucking terrible, pardon the language, very, very bad in, in game seven. But they were. Yep. Uh, and uh, as coach, he has to take some of the, you know, he has to take some of the blame for his team's performance either way. Absolutely. So, yeah, I was just, I was very, I'm, I'm in retrospect, very relieved to see them uh, not. I was very relieved to see them not 
make it any further. Yeah, here's my thing. And I don't think they would have gotten past the Lakers anyway. I, I think they would have had a, a decent shot, and that's why I kind of wanted them to meet up with the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals because if the Clippers win everything, like if they won the championship, it's like nobody wins because there are no Clipper fans. <laughs> Laker fans absolutely hate the idea of the Clippers winning, and that's really my driving driving motivation <laughs> behind <laughs> wanting the Clippers to win it all. I, I was able to look past my dislike for Kawhi and Paul George because I wanted the Lakers to lose. But I guess at that point, it's just let's go heat now. Yeah, and, and definitely this is nobody expected this. I mean, some people thought it would be the Lakers and the Bucks, but I think that probably the primary, if I had to look at the odds, I'm pretty certain that they would say the, 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 the odds on favorites for the finals with the Bucks and the Clippers, neither of them will be going there. Yep, and uh, it's like you said, these playoffs have just been so much better. Absolutely, and, you know, because yeah, for three years it was basically uh, formality. Yeah, you know, yeah, it was it was who will test the Warriors before they before they even for the fourth year, before, you know, even in, even last year, it's like who will test the Warriors? No, wait, that was three years. Excuse me, the seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. It was who will test the Warriors before they inevitably win because they have an overwhelming amount of talent. And last year, without the injuries. Like, come on, the Warriors are winning yeah, that series. Absolutely. You know, if if they have, I'd say, certainly if, if, if KD doesn't get injured, but even if KD does get injured and Clay Thompson doesn't, I think they still win that series. So it's been, it's just been so refreshing. But I will say that uh, being the bubble has played a role. Do you think teams are going to come back from three to one down this easily without, you know, with home games, if they have to play games five and seven away? It's a lot harder. Yeah, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot more difficult to play in that environment. So this, it, I mean, the, the bubble obviously isn't. You know, nobody likes the fact that there had to be a bubble, but I think it's in a way it, it's allowed for some unexpected things to happen. Yeah, not having uh, a home and away team. So, in any event, uh, this has definitely run pretty long. Uh, so we're going to call it quits now. Uh, thank you all for listening, and we will catch you next time.